this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. Again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and... I hope that you're able to walk away knowing that God alone can save, and it's through His Son, Jesus Christ, that He can save anyone because of His freedom and forgiveness. And I want to be really clear this morning as we engage this text, there's nothing Saul could do. There's nothing Saul did. It's solely Jesus Christ working in Saul to bring him from persecutor to preacher. And so I want to walk through this text with you, and as we engage it, I want to challenge you to think about your own life and ask yourself the question, am I like Saul or am I like Paul, Ananias? Sorry there, I saw one of my friends over here and smiled a little bit and lost track. It's good to have you guys in here. Uh, Am I like Saul or am I like Ananias? And so there's two different guys you see in this text in verses uh, 1 through 31 that we're going to see, but they get the same challenge, and that is to get up and go. So for all of us, I think we have the same challenge, get up and go, but some of us are in the place where Saul is, and some of us are in the place where Ananias is, but no matter where we are, what does it look like for us to get up to go, to be faithful to do what God has called us to do right now in this moment? So let's look at verse uh, 1. It says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Saul uh, was the Hebrew name for a man named Paul, which was the Gentile name, which you may know as the guy who wrote some significant books like First and Second Corinthians and Romans, some big books that you uh, would know of, some other books like Philippians and Ephesians and Galatians that you might know of. And this guy named Paul wrote these books to churches and to people specifically, but he was not always a man who was writing letters about Jesus Christ. At this time, as you might remember from a couple weeks ago, Paul, uh, or Saul in this text, was the guy who was overseeing the death of a man named Stephen, who we would, we would call the first martyr uh, for Jesus, the first guy to die because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul, uh, and, or this guy named Saul, would oversee this death, and in it, we learn a little bit about Saul. He had some, he's had some sort of status because the people were bringing him things and laying them at his feet to sort of declare who he is, like to give him a sort of status amongst the others. And it says at the end of it, as everyone else was casting stones, he cast a pebble. And what that meant was this, when they casted pebbles, it meant they were casting votes. So apparently he was worthy to be given the things and he was worthy to be casting a vote. So he had a status that allowed him to do this in the presence of the Sanhedrin and in the presence of those who had been... uh, given the authority to carry out death for Stephen because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So how did Saul get here? How did Saul get to the place where he had that kind of status? Well, his family was most likely from uh, a place in Rome, but they were slaves because of the Maccabean Revolt. In the Maccabean Revolt, what happened is the Romans took a lot of slaves and put them in 
uh, uh, into slavery, but other Jews bought them out of slavery. And what they would call these people are the freedmen. They were people who had been brought out of slavery and now made free. So you remember a couple weeks ago uh, where we saw the text where it said they went to the freedmen's synagogue. That was where people in Rome who had been freed from slavery would go to learn about the scriptures. Okay, freedmen's synagogue. Saul's family was most likely part of that. And once they were freed, were then, uh, they, they went to a place called Tarsus, which is in Cilicia. Tarsus was kind of like the main city for this area of Cilicia, but it was also sort of um, free from Rome, but yet owned by Rome. So Rome was sovereign over it, but they gave them a lot of leeway and leadership. So here's the, one of the cool things about Saul. Saul had uh, citizenship in Rome, but he also had citizenship in Tarsus of Cilicia. And then in Tarsus, he starts to learn a lot about the Greek culture uh, as a young, at a young age, because he learns Greek, he knows Hebrew, he's a Jew, he's devout. So he says in uh, Philippians that he's, he's zealous uh, uh, farther than everybody else. So he's trying to learn the scriptures, trying to follow after everything they're saying. But Saul wants to go to Jerusalem to learn the Hebrew scriptures. There's no better place to learn uh, Greek literature in Cilicia than Tarsus. But there's no better place to learn about the Hebrew text than in Jerusalem. So Saul's family sends him to Jerusalem. It's pretty significant because they had finances. Apparently they had enough money to live in Tarsus, to study Greek culture, uh, to have Saul studying under someone, then to send Saul to study under the great Gamaliel. He was a high, high uh, prestigious leader. He, uh, in the Sanhedrin, usually uh, the, the Sadducees were kind of the leaders because they, they were a lot more Sadducees in the Sanhedrin than the Pharisees. But uh, Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and he yet, yet he had a lot of uh, leadership status. He, when he stood up to speak, everyone listened. Like he was one of the premier teachers. Uh, everyone looked up to Gamaliel. To study under him meant a lot. It would have been costly, and it was difficult to do this. So we know that Saul had something that both Gamaliel liked and that he had the money in, to afford to study under Gamaliel. So skip forward a little bit. You got Saul uh, in front of the Sanhedrin being sent out by the chief priests to go to Damascus with their authority to imprison people who are of the way, to bring them back to Jerusalem, in, uh, throw them in jail, and ultimately most likely be stoned to death just like Stephen. So Saul was given authority and power and all these different things. His upbringing had led him to this point at the age of like 12-ish. The Gamaliel would have sent him out to be his own. Like that was manhood back then. By 18, he would have had his own disciples. And, uh, and at a young age, Paul is literally overseeing the death of Stephen. Now he's going to Damascus to arrest more. I think this is significant because... Um, of what we're going to see in a little bit with the Gentiles. Remember this. Paul was in Rome, was sent to Tarsus, and then came to Jerusalem. Now walk with me. Verse 3. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I want you to key in on something here. This phrase, falling to the ground. You see, 
Paul had a lot of status in his life. He had a lot of, uh, he, had a, he had grown in this prestige uh, academy, kind of studying under Gamaliel. He was able to vote on different things. He was overseeing Stephen. He was sent out by the chief priest. But in one moment, he falls to the ground because he's in front of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like all that status is being shed away at, at the feet of Jesus. And it says, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I want you to notice in this next, this next verse, this is in Greek, this phrase right here is three words. It looks like four in English. So last service I said the next three words and then I noticed it was four and I was like, okay. But in Greek it's three. So bear with me because you know somebody will always say three words. I can't stop doing this. And you're like, that's like six words. So this is three words in Greek, but it is significant. <laughs> 140, 146, just notice my southern slang coming out, 146 words. 146 words are spoken from somebody from verses 1 through verse 19. Out of someone's mouth, 146 words. Saul has three of them. This is the story of Saul coming to faith in Jesus Christ, converting from persecutor to preacher. This is the story of Saul, and he only has three words. Why? Because it's God who is at work, not Saul. Saul's headed to kill people. Saul's headed to persecute, but God has a different plan, and it's God intervening that makes him fall to his knees. And when he says, Saul, Saul, the only thing Saul can muster is not, I believe in you, not I repent, not I was wrong, but who are you? Are you the Lord? And I can only imagine in my mind, like, we got to be at this point where we think, like, okay, Saul thought for sure this is going to be Yahweh, right? Like, he would have thought, especially religiously speaking, like, he was trained, that if somebody's going to show up and speak to him, it's going to be Yahweh. I am Jesus. I am. The one who Saul would have always thought was the I am was Yahweh. Literally in Hebrew, this, this idea that God is the great I am. Jesus in front of Saul says, I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Verse 6, and remember this phrase, right? Like throughout Acts, we've seen this. Get up and go. We saw this in Jonah as we studied chapter 1 and chapter 3. Get up and go. He's going to use this phrase, like I said, twice. Once for Saul and once for Ananias. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So you think like Saul, maybe he can get up. Maybe he can go. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He had been blinded by this situation. So they took him by the hand and led him in Damascus. He cannot even walk into Damascus to find King Jesus. He must be assisted into it. Literally, everything is the work of God in this whole story. Verse 9, he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision. And note that again. Like for Saul, everything was the Lord's work. But look at Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And you can see the difference between when the Lord speaks to Saul and the Lord speaks to Ananias. When the Lord speaks to Saul, Saul says, 
Who are you? Are you the Lord? That's essentially what he's saying. Are you the Lord? Ananias knows the voice, right? Ananias knows what his Christ, his king, sounds like. Ananias. And so his response, like Isaiah, here I am, Lord. Man, may we have a similar response to the Lord as Ananias, not as Saul. Verse 11, here it is. The Lord speaks to Ananias that same phrase. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. And y'all like, I feel like this, this text right here is kind of like when you get in your car, you turn on your GPS and you hit the navigation, and it's like, turn right here, go straight, one mile, turn right. You've arrived at your definite destination, right? Like he gets like specific instructions on what to do. And so you would think his natural response, like he was like, hey, here I am, Lord, tell me what you want me to do. And he's like, okay, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. I want you to go to the house of Judas, and I want you to meet with a man named Saul. Look at Ananias' response. Uh, sorry, verse 12. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Like just everything is listed there. Like, like I'm telling you, like just everything detailed out, perfect. What are you supposed to do? Go do it. Verse, tw- verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. And notice this, y'all. Saul's name, like his actions, what he has done has gone before him. It's gotten to Damascus, like, hey guys, heads up. Like, I can imagine like all the Christians kind of telling each other, like, hey guys, just so you know, Paul, uh, Saul's headed your way. He's headed towards you. And he's got, you know, the chief priest told him to come out, get all the Christians together, take them back to Jerusalem. They're going to put you in jail and they're going to do what they did to Stephen. Like, that should be what, that would be what was in their mind. And so Ananias is one of them, right? Ananias is in Damascus. That's where Saul's headed to go. All Ananias knows is there's a guy named Saul who's coming to kill me. And the Lord shows up to him and says, hey, Ananias, I want you to go touch his eyes. (laughs) Right? Verse 15. Yeah. But the Lord said to him, go. Like, just stop there. You know, I, I, I think this, this word right here, that's what we need to hear sometimes. He's already told us what to do. Y'all, it's like GPS, navigation. I feel like it's sometimes like when you open your phone up and you see like you click. I never do this because it frustrates me because I don't know what it's talking about. But when you hit the steps button and it lists out like 34 steps you got to do, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, just tell me when I'm supposed to turn right. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm just going to wait for that. The Lord gives him this description of everything he's supposed to do. Ananias is like, hold up. Do you know who that is? (laughs) And the Lord responds with simple, simple thing. Go. Just Go. Like we've said throughout this sermon series, just be faithful. Do what God has called you to do. But I get it, man. We have questions like, but God, do you understand? Do you know who this is? Do you know what that means for my life? Go. And if there has never been like a total just like transformation of somebody's life, like this, this is just it, y'all. He says, go. For this man is my chosen instrument. Mm. God has chosen him for a purpose, a chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You guys want to talk about the persecutor becoming the preacher? 
You want to talk about the man from Rome who lived in Tarsus, who now lives in Jerusalem, who's going to be in Jerusalem and go to the nations? God just flipped his whole world upside down. We're talking about the guy who would cause others to suffer for Jesus' name is now going to be the one who's going to suffer for Jesus' name. Like this is the persecutor becoming the preacher. This is the guy who didn't want to live in Rome but wanted to study in Jerusalem, sent back to Rome to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is a transformation of someone's life. Verse 17, Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. You know, I I think about that word, brother. I think about Ananias walking into that room And y'all, we get to read, we know the story, all these different things. But all Ananias knows is there's a murderer in town and he's been told to go touch his eyes. And he walks into the room in the presence of the guy who was there to kill him with the authority of the chief priest and he places his hands on his eyes. But notice what he says to him. He doesn't say, Saul, you persecuting murderer. He says, brother. This is the first moment in Saul's life where he's been declared to be part of the family of God through Jesus Christ, salvation in his life, despite nothing he's done, not all his studying, not studying in Tarsus Greek culture, not studying in Jerusalem, the Hebrew culture and language and uh, the written word of God, none of that studying, none of that work, none of the money, none of it amounted to this moment when Ananias, a random man from Damascus that he was sent to imprison and kill, comes up, touches his eyes and says, brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit and at once something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight then he got up and was baptized you guys note this down Saul Saul Jesus He says later in Romans and throughout his writings, he says, man, I saw the resurrected. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, which is the greatest gospel, uh, like, like short, concise presentation of the gospel, he says that he actually saw the resurrected Jesus. And I believe that Saul, when he was walking on that road to Damascus, what he saw in front of him was the resurrected living Christ. It was the Christ who he had always longed for in all the scriptures he had read. It was the Christ that everyone had longed for in front of him. Christ showed up to him. But not only that, God shows up to Ananias in a vision. God takes uh, Saul to Damascus. God shows up to Ananias, tells him to go. God reveals to Saul that Ananias is coming. And in all of these things, it works together. God works together to bring about his plan in their lives. And they're doing nothing but exactly what he says. Like, they're not, they're not working it out. They're not orchestrating it. They're not the ones who are bringing about salvation. They're just following him, being faithful and doing exactly what he's called them to do. And, and you know, I think, I think sometimes people judge Paul, and I really think it's unfair. 
because you look at his writings and people want to, you know, they judge, like he talks about sovereignty and election and predestination, all these words, and everyone gets all like scared and worried about these things. But I want you to think about Saul. Like just, just try to step into his shoes, man. This man was a persecutor of the church. He later says he was a murderer of all these things. He was zealous to stop Christians. He's walking on a road to Damascus, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the, within a couple days, his life goes from a persecutor and a, a strong Jewish leader to all of a sudden he's preaching Jesus Christ. That's all he knows is that God worked everything out in the midst of his rebellion, in the midst of him going to kill Christians. God works everything out to now he's preaching Christ. That's what Paul knows. And so it makes sense in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because he knows it's not him. It's not anything Saul has done. It's not anything he's achieved. Throughout his letters, he gives all the glory to God. Like, I can't do anything. God showed it to me when I had nothing. And brothers and sisters, there's no more humbling position to be in than when Saul lost his job, lost his friends, lost everything, but knows this truth. And you're going to see it here in a second, Philippians, when it says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul recognizes that all this other stuff is gone because he saw the risen Jesus Christ. Like he's willing to give up everything because he saw the risen Jesus Christ. And don't forget that though his eyes couldn't see anything, he could see the risen Jesus Christ. Because God had a specific plan and worked about a specific measure to bring about freedom and forgiveness for this man named Saul. And I believe he can do it for you because God alone can save anyone. So remember, get up and go. And look here, Saul got up and was baptized. The rest of his life will be characterized around this, get up and go. For Ananias and for Saul, their life revolves around this idea that when God says get up and go, we simply go. Look at this, just follow with me. Verse 19, after taking some food, he regained his strength and Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues he is the son of God. The guy who was going to the synagogues to shut it down is now saying it, right? I love it. Verse 21, all who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on this name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? And y'all, you may have a background, you may have a past, you may have these things that you feel like, man, because of this stuff, I can't preach. You may say, man, I'm looking back at what I've done. Nobody wants me to be a leader. Nobody wants me to step into position. I can't. Look, they knew who Saul was, but he kept on preaching. They knew his background. It wasn't like everybody was like, oh, we don't know you. Who are you? And he's like, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you about Jesus. Man, all oh, who, who he was when I was out on full display. Hey, Saul, aren't you the guy that killed Stephen? Like, imagine trying to answer that. I mean, goodness. How many of these guys met Stephen? Was led to Christ by Stephen? Or heard of Stephen's teaching about Jesus. Stephen was a devout follower of Jesus, preaching Christ throughout the area. People knew Stephen, and people knew Saul killed Stephen. And here's Saul now telling them about Jesus? Hold up. So you're, gonna, you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to face people that are going to go, hey, 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 you shouldn't be preaching that. Your past does not define your future. God can restore you. Can. That's the key question. God can 
restore you. That doesn't mean every single person who has a past should be preaching. Every person who has a past should be in leadership in a church. It means that it needs to be a process of restoration. What does it look like to print and go, okay, this is who I was. Like I've never, I've never, and I will never fool you to say that who I was was not worthy to be a pastor. The first thing I said from this pulpit when someone asked me the question, what makes you worthy to be the pastor at Westminster Baptist Church? I said, nothing except for Jesus Christ. And that will always be the truth, and that will forever be my truth. It is only because of the grace of God that I am what I am, just as, as Saul. It is by his grace, forgiveness, and salvation that we can stand and preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ, even when it's on full display like this. So look, he doesn't have the Jews in Damascus. Verse 22, but Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. Like, he doesn't have the Jews in Damascus. They're trying to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot, so they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. So he's out. Like, he's gone. Like, they're trying to kill him. Jews in Damascus trying to kill him. So he gets to Jerusalem. Verse 26, when he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Since they did not believe he was a disciple, Jews in Damascus don't want him. The disciples in Jerusalem are afraid of him. So here comes Barnabas. Verse 27, Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Y'all, he doesn't note down. Remember, Barnabas doesn't note down like, hey, Saul, yeah, he, um, on the road to Damascus, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ, raised his hand and, 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 you know, just did those things. Like, he doesn't note that down. What does he note down? This man saw the risen Jesus, Right? Like, I, I raised my hand in a service, and, and, and at one point I came to my mom and said, look, I want to believe in Jesus Christ. I was like seven years old, believed in Jesus Christ. It wasn't until 19 that I really recognized what that meant. But when I, when I and worship Jesus, when I recognize the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, and what Jesus Christ has done in my life, my family's life, and in this world, when I see those things, like, that should be what people go, yeah, he's a new man, not because of what he's done. Look, you're a new person, not because of what you've done, but because of what God has done in you. And Barnabas says, "Not hey, hey, Saul's changed. Saul's different, guys. He says, no, Saul has seen the risen Lord Jesus. Verse 28, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He's still preaching, y'all. People are just trying to kill him, and he's still preaching. Even in Jerusalem, look, verse 29, he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him, the Jews in Damascus tried to kill him. The Jews in uh, Jerusalem tried to kill him. These Hellenistic Jews. And you wonder, like, you've got to think, like, was like Saul oversaw the death of Jews in, uh, sorry, Christians in Jerusalem at the hands of Jews. I wonder how many of these people were like, Saul, like, used to be with us. And now they're trying to kill him. Verse 30. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And, you know, that, that to me is like, that's persecutor to preacher all in one. He, Saul lost pretty much everything on the road to Damascus. He lost all his status, all his friends. Now they're trying to kill him. The disciples are sort of afraid of him and really don't trust him for a while. Afraid. Barnabas is his only advocate here. 
He doesn't even point to anything about Saul, just that he preaches Jesus because Jesus appeared in front of him. He really has nothing. And that's where Philippians 1 is, right? He says, man, I count everything else as loss. I count it as just unworthy. It's nothing. The only gain he has is Jesus Christ. He later says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I hope you'll just like think on that, like just meditate on that. Paul, losing everything, gained everything. But wasn't it Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels who said, for whoever wants to gain everything will lose their life, but whoever wants to lose everything will gain life. And it just becomes true in Paul's life when he's just like, look, I can lose everything except for Christ. Take everything but Christ. And the irony of this is, like, he doesn't even get to live in Jerusalem. He doesn't doesn't even get to stay there, like, because everybody's trying to kill him. So what did they do? They send him to Caesarea, and then he winds back up where? Tarsus. He left Tarsus to come study about God. Now he's been kicked out to go back. Why? Because God had a plan. It says, he is my chosen instrument. And the result is this, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. Whether Paul is persecuting and killing Christians or whether Paul is preaching the gospel, the church finds peace and grows. So we got to remember this. God is at work. Whether you are in rebellion or faithfulness, God is going to work. Now, in God's sovereign grace and his just majestic freedom and forgiveness that he has, he brings Saul into that part of his plan. But you've got to look at this and go, man, like, I got nothing. I've got nothing, but God decided to use me to be a part of his plan. Like, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain because I get to live with my Christ in his presence forever. So look, no matter who you are, what you've done, whatever your past looks like, whatever you look like, act like, or anything, coming into this room today, I want you to hear this. God can save anyone. If God can save Saul and God can save me, God can save you. And not only that, he can raise you up. If God raised up Saul to be one of the greatest missionaries of all time, to write a significant amount of the New Testament, and to impact leaders for all time, some of the greatest preachers of all time have been affected by Romans, a book that Paul wrote that shows the glory and the majesty and the grace of God because Jesus Christ showed up and chose an instrument to be used for his glory. So I want to ask you as the worship team comes, I want to ask you this morning, are you like Saul? You've been... Man, and, and there's two categories you can go with here, man. Saul was definitely like rebelling against what God, because Jesus even said, he says, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he was living in a form of rebellion against God because he wasn't seeking out the one true God. But there's also this religiousness, like this, Saul, Saul thought he was being perfect. The word he uses in Philippians and Romans, he Man, he, he literally thought he was the zealous, perfect, righteous, law-abiding, whatever word you want to insert in there. He thought he was it. 
He thought he was doing exactly what God had told him to do, and he was trying to follow after that, and he's going to Damascus, and it's like, hey, brother, you're way off. It's, in fact, it's the opposite. So, I, man, some, some of you have come in here with a lot of baggage today, and you need to hear this. God, will, God can save anyone, no matter what you've done in your past. But some of you are coming in here today. You may have been church your whole life. You may be sitting in a seat today, and you're like, man, I always come to church. I'm faithful to church. You may have led Bible studies, been part of Bible studies, gone on mission trips, whatever it may be. But it's like Saul, man. You've, you've been a really religious, but you need to see the Savior. And I hope, man, I, I can't force you to do that. I, I, I'm, I'm not Jesus, and I can't, show, I can't show, like, I can't visibly show you Jesus. But here's what I can do. I can tell you that Jesus Christ came. He lived a life you couldn't live of perfection. He died a death you couldn't die with all the sin upon him. And he was raised from the dead in a way that we couldn't so that we could have life. So that in our death, we would be raised from the dead. He did that because he loves you. And I encourage you during this time of worship to meditate, to reflect, just take time to think about this. Jesus Christ died for you. And just ask God, look to God, cling to the cross, whatever that is for you in this moment, just be reflecting on this truth that Jesus Christ died from you, was buried and raised from the dead because he loves you. And if he loves Saul, then how much more could he love you? Maybe today you're like Ananias and you're hearing that phrase, get up and go. And for Saul, get up and go meant to pursue after Jesus. And somebody in here needs to pursue after Jesus. But somebody, somebody in here may be like, Ananias, it's time for you to go. Like cross town, cross city, cross nations, cross states, whatever it looks like. Maybe it's time for you just to get up and go and to be faithful to wherever God's called you to be. Just be faithful. Whatever he's called you to do, to go. There's fear. There's doubt. There's insecurities. There's the struggle of knowing, can I, should I? But when God's called you to do something, don't ask can, should, am I able? Just go. And so maybe you're in here today like Ananias, and I would just challenge you during this time of worship just to ask God, hey God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Because I will go wherever you want me to go. And like Ananias, don't be surprised if where he calls you to go is not where you feel like is the most easy. It's not always easy to go where God calls us to go, but it is right. So I'm gonna pray for you and I'm just gonna let you meditate on this. And we're gonna worship. And afterwards, I'm gonna be out of the discipleship hub. I wanna just invite you to join a a space with people who can come alongside you for the journey in one moment. Saul's life was transformed forever, but I want you, if it's in this moment, God's gonna transform your life. I want you to have an ongoing plan to surround yourself with believers, to keep you accountable. Like this is where you ought to be going and to listen and to grow and learn with them. This is where you should be heading. So meditate on this, think on this. Are you like Saul? Are you like Ananias? Get up and go and just be faithful. Let me pray for you. Father, would you help us to be faithful? We need your freedom. We need your forgiveness. And we also need your faithfulness because we, God, we even struggle to be faithful. 
So I ask you, God, to wake up hearts to your forgiveness from what they've done, but also to your freedom to live a life that is different. So God, transform our hearts, speak in these moments, show up to your people, your presence being made known to your church. And we'll trust you, Father, with whatever you say and whatever you do, we will trust you. Father, we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Peace to 
deepest still as you call me deepest still as you call me deepest still into love 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 you're a good good father to you that you will connect in some way to WBC, whether it's through Alpha or Discover or joining a D group, Life group, whatever it is. We'd love to connect you with that. I'll be outside. I'm going to run downstairs in a little bit. So I'd love to connect with you. I haven't met you. Uh, again, my name's Matt. I'm lead pastor here. Um, but I'll be downstairs at Discover Church. If you haven't gone, but you've been through Alpha, we invite you to continue, uh, to stay with us uh, and to uh, more, learn more about our vision, vision and mission. Otherwise, remember, you are sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. Pray you have a great week. We'll see you later. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.